It's become powerless in our nation, and specifically, it's become powerless in our culture. And maybe I see things a little different. Maybe I have a different burden and stuff. But one of the things I feel that the church can do, and one of the things I feel so strongly about today, is young men. Our culture needs to be changed because, well, our young men are not becoming what they're supposed to be. Masculinity is getting a bad rap these days. In fact, our theme for 2018 in our men's ministry is masculinity. And the title and the, the character, excuse me, the definition of masculinity is this, the characteristics of a man. Let me just say this to you. Masculinity is never toxic. Amen? But what is destructive? What's destructive is leaderless young men. What's destructive is young men who have no foundation, who have no father, who have no male role models in their life. I say this often, but I have raised my daughters trying to protect them from the world. But I have raised my son trying to protect the world from him. Meaning I'm trying to make sure that he is a man of integrity, a man with a work ethic, a man who will not leave a scar on this world, but a man who will bless this world. You better do it. Love you, boy. But masculinity and young men, and I found myself face-to-face with this issue, well, last Sunday. I wasn't feeling well, and so I spent the day here at the church before evening service, and I took a nap. Oh, a nap can make you feel better, can it? And after I woke up around 3 o'clock, I realized, I'm hungry. So I went over to Wendy's and walked in, and behind the counter was one of our young ladies, Maya. And I walk in, and she goes, Pastor Steve! And I go, hi, hi! And she's just a sweet little girl, and I love her. But in before I had got there was a punk. A punk. He had this nice lady with him, and there was a six-year-old little girl, maybe seven, but she was with them, and I don't know if they were married. I don't know if it was his child, but I knew he was a punk because I knew he was a punk by the way he dressed. Apparently, he was under the assumption that the, the crotch in his pants started at his knees, and I just had every thought, everything I could to come by there and pull his pants up for him. But he was a punk by the way he acted. He was making a big fuss, and he was really upset, and it was only me and his little group in the entire Wendy's, but he was upset, and he was upset because the, the, the soda dispenser, the Coke dispenser, was out of Dr. Pepper, and apparently it was, a, it was a plot, and Wendy herself was doing it to him, and he was upset, and he was ranting and raving and going on, and I watched, I watched our sweet little girl go over there and take care of him. I said, no, no, and take his cup, and went back there and got him Dr. Pepper and apologized and everything. He was also a punk the way he talked because he was using language that was just really bothering him. And he kept calling his wife, I assume, or girlfriend, a word that really bothered me. And he kept using some other language that I don't use and you shouldn't use. And he was saying all these things. And I was getting very upset watching him. But I've talked with enough police to know that the most dangerous thing you can do is intervene in a domestic dispute. You go there to help somebody else, and now they jump in and attack you too. But I decided I can't do much about you. I don't know why you chose him. By the way, girls, you know what he did? He was on his cell phone when they were leaving, and she had all their food and the kid with her, and she had to get in the car and put everything because he stood on his phone. That is not a man you need to be messing around with. Amen? But I stood there behind him waiting, thinking, if you swear or say something to that sweet girl behind the counter, you're going to go over that counter real quick. 
And I just waited for him, and you know what? He didn't do it because I, oh, I was ready to take him on. That young man needed a life-changing experience. But you know what? That young man used to be a minority in our culture. Now, he's the majority. So if you're taking notes, let me just say this to you. The church is life-changing. The church is life-changing. Nothing changes the culture more than Jesus. Say amen. Nothing can change a punk into true masculinity better than Jesus. Say amen. And there's no other group that lifts Jesus up more than the church. There's a lot of great organizations, and I always try to give them their proper due and respect, but the, the Rotary Club does a great thing here at Christmas, and the Clarkston Rotary Club is thumbs up for me. The Lions Club also at Christmas came. They did eye exams for kids, and they help out families that are struggling a little financially. I give those people as much respect. I mean, they are great, and if you've joined them, I would say, hey, heads up, that sounds like a great place to be part of. But no organization is better at changing lives than the church because the church lifts Jesus up. Let me just say this to you. Our one sentence about what our church is, Oakenwood Baptist Church is about Jesus. There's churches that get involved in politics. Never in my life understood why. Politicians come and go. You want to know how a when a politician's lying to you? Their posture. If their lips are moving. There are churches that get, that get involved in pulled off sides and get involved in every current trend that comes along. There's churches that are involved in trying to make it more palatable to you and make your experience comfortable because we never want you to be upset because you might leave and go to someone else's show. Oakland Woods Baptist Church is about Jesus. And to clarify, it's about studying the Word of God. Why? Because it is the Word of God that reveals Jesus to us. It's about reaching the next generation for Jesus. And it's about declaring today and every day and every time we meet that Jesus is the only way. Our purpose, I say this every year, and let me just restate it to you. Our purpose is there's basically four C's. There's a clear message. May not be the best message in town. May not be the most articulate. May not be the most skilled message that you're going to see today. Or you could possibly be in the driving distance of our community. May not be. But it will be a clear message that you must be born again that Jesus came to die on a cross for you, and that you, sir, you, ma'am, you need to meet Jesus, and the only way is by asking him to be your Lord and Savior. Our children's ministry is next, and I always have to apologize for college kids and say, yes, I'm including you there. It just makes a C if I cut. Everywhere from nursery on up, about reaching boys and girls, about reaching students, about reaching college kids, they are the next generation of workers, but they are this generation's mission field, being involved in our community. I like to think that I don't know of any other church that does, but I think Oakland Woods, at least in this local community here, does more to reach our community, does more for our community than any other church I've seen. And lastly, compassion. One of our compassion things, thanks for coming in late, man. One of our compassion ministries is going to be on display next week. Brother Kyle Hicks from Outcry Ministries. He's going to be our speaker at 9.30 and 11. If you've never heard him, you need to come. He only comes usually at night here. But Outcry Ministry, he goes. He does street preaching. He does a whole bunch of stuff. But mostly he feeds homeless people. If you're here today thinking, you know, my life isn't very good. If you're here thinking, my home is really bad and small and the, the, it leaks water. And I don't have a nice car. And everything about my life stinks. You need to spend the night 
that Brother Kyle Hicks, especially in the winter, the summer's easy, but especially in the winter, as he goes through doorways and back alleys and hands out food to homeless people who are going to spend the night outside in 15-degree weather. You need to be part of that, and I encourage you to be here next week because his, he's a good preacher, but when he talks about his ministry, it is life-changing. No greater example, in my opinion, can be described the life-changing power, especially in a male, in the church, what the church does, in the life of Timothy. Let me give you some facts about Timothy. First, Timothy was from Lystra. Timothy is from Lystra. Well, why is that important? Well, all you have to do is go back two chapters to Acts chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas show up in Lystra, and they heal a man. And because he gets healed, the whole town goes crazy. And, well, a group of people that hate Paul and Barnabas come in, and they take that excitement. Well, they turn that excitement into a mob. And they will take Paul, and they will drag not even drag him. They will stone Paul to death in Lystra, and, and then they will drag him out of the town and leave him for dead. And he did die. Check out 2 Corinthians 12, 1 through 5, and you can see Paul talks about a man who went to heaven. Paul dies. His, his followers and people that are with him are all standing around going, Paul is dead. And then what Paul does? Well, Paul does what the undertaker would have done. He just sat up when everybody thought he was dead. That's your old wrestling reference. Some of you got it. Some of you didn't. Tough luck. He sat up, and he went back into that town and preached Jesus and stayed there another night and another day and preached Jesus. And that town went on fire for Jesus because, listen, it's hard not to listen to a dude you just threw a rock at and saw die. And then he came back in and said, you thought you had me? Listen, you need to hear some more about who Jesus is. The town that Timothy was from caught on fire for Jesus. Secondly, Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. 1 Corinthians uh, 4.17, 1 Timothy 1.2, there's plenty of other references. But Paul personally led Timothy to Christ. There's something about being the person who leads someone to Christ. You have an instantaneous bond forever. Thirdly, and this is for some of you today, and I thought about a couple of you today. Timothy was from a single home mom. 2 Timothy 1.5 tells you that, but look at Acts chapter 16, verse 1 with me, and it says this. Then came he, that's Paul, to Derba and Lystra, that's Timothy's town. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jew, and believed. But his father, well, his father was a Greek or a Gentile. Now, tradition says one or two things happened. Tradition says that maybe Timothy's father died, and so that he's not in the picture. But there's another group of people that believe, and they have some decent evidence, not biblical, but they have some decent evidence that says that Timothy's dad ran off once Timothy's mom got saved. I'm not exactly sure if that's true or not, but what I am sure is that Timothy could have been just another statistic. Just another statistic. Listen, the statistics are overwhelming. The disadvantage that a young boy has, a young girl has it too without a mom and dad too. You understand? Amen? But the statistics are overwhelming. The disadvantage that a young boy has when he does not have a male presence in his home, when he does not have a father. I know that goes against cultural thinking. I know that's against what Hollywood's going to say at the Grammys and everything else. But the facts are the facts, and you can see them on the local news all the time. Every time you watch Channel 4, Channel 7, Q, every time you read the Detroit news and you see a crime about one young man doing something horrible to somebody else, Look for the word father, and I guarantee you 99 out of 100 times that word is not there. Timothy could have been just another statistic, but something changed it. And it's 2 Timothy 1.5. Paul writes to him, 
when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice. Timothy had an ace in the hole. He had a godly mother and a grandmother who loved Jesus. Mom, listen to me. You didn't ask to be in this position. You didn't want it to take place. But if you're here and you're a single mom, you can still raise a godly man. Amen? You can still raise a godly young lady. You can still do it. But you mark it down. You will need help. And I haven't found a place better than the church to help you. And if you're here and you're a grandmother, you see that 2 Timothy 1.5, you can see the power of a grandmother's faith. Listen, if there's an old lady praying for you today, you might as well give up. Because old ladies don't know how to shut up, and they keep going to God and bothering him. And eventually God's going to get tired of listening to your grandma talk. You better serve God now because it's better now than when God gets really tired with you. Amen? Any little old ladies want to say amen to that? There you go. Well, they don't know how to shut up. But anyways, but, but a thought has always come to my mind. Why didn't Timothy know Jesus before Paul got there? Well, maybe the gospel hadn't arrived. But it does seem very clearly, I mean, it seems to be implied that his mom and grandmother were a believer before. Could it possibly be that parents need help in the spiritual life of their children? This isn't in your notes, but it's a brilliant statement because it comes from me. There you go. Favorite member of the week. And it's this. If you like to take notes, Paul finished the foundation of faith Timothy's mom created. Paul finished the foundation of faith Timothy's mom created. God intends for the church and the family to go hand in hand working together. Listen, I don't know if you've ever had a preacher who talks about their father and lifts him up as much as I do. I had a godly man in my father worked for his family. My father was faithful uh, every day to his wife, my mother. My father loved his family, worked every day for them, and my father loved Jesus, and my father was consistent. I don't know if any young man ever had a better example of what Jesus is supposed to be or how you're supposed to behave and how you're supposed to talk and everything, but I want to tell you something. It wasn't. I'm not here today just because of my father. There's a list, and I thought about there's about four or five men in my life that poured their life into me, and the only reason I'm alive today, the only reason I'm here today is because of these four or five men in my life. And you know what I realized? They all had one thing in common. They were all members of First Baptist of Washington, where I grew up. I could tell you names like Mr. Champagne, who was the bus driver, and I was the bus captain. And I remember being 17, talking to him and saying, telling him my dad was an idiot and didn't know what he was talking about, and him calmly listening to me and very politely listening to me and then saying, well, maybe it's this way and letting me see in a roundabout way that I was stupid. Names like Mr. Owen, Mr. Deeroff, who was my, a deacon in our church, but was also my youth pastor. Uh, Mr. Earls, who ruined my life and got me involved in ministry. And my pastor, men like Mr. Feldman, who one time when I was, my best man uh, was his dad uh, in my wedding. My best man was his dad. And one time, because I was a good Baptist, I sat in the back at First Baptist of Washington and saw Baptists do it on the back porch. But, and the pastor kid was preaching and stuff, and I got up and was just going to go to the bathroom. I was just wasting time and stuff. And um, I was, I'd made a decision to do something, right? I was going to do this in my life. 
And Mr. Feldman, or Scott was his son, Scott Colden and stuff. And so Mr. Feldman saw me walk by, so he grabbed, he, had to, he stayed in the back because he had a bad back, so he always was scared and stuff and stood in our overflow room. As I walked by, he grabbed me, pushed me up against the wall and said, I hear you're thinking about this, this, and this. He said, you listen to me, Steve, you do that and I'll take your head off. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'm here today because of men like that, my pastor, Pastor Chris, who when I was an obnoxious teenager and nobody thought anything about Steve, spent enough time patiently mentoring, discipling, counseling me, told me what I needed to do, and I went out and did it. Mom and Dad, Timothy could have been a statistic, but the church stepped in. You can raise a godly young man to serve the Lord. You can raise a godly woman, whether you're a single mom or both parents are together. But I'm here to tell you this, from the authority of God's word and also personal experience, you're going to need help. Can I just ask you, for our student ministry and children's ministry, go ahead, Amy. Come on. Why don't you rediscover our student ministry? Why don't you retry it? Why don't you remake your kids go to it? Why don't you give us three months? Well, I can't get them. Can I just say this politely and kindly? If you can't get them into student ministry, you, you have a big problem in your home. I say this lovingly and kindly. You do not leave your home. If you can't get a 16-year-old to show up for church, you have a huge problem. Some of you might want to consider saving for bail money because you're probably going to need it. They have a cell phone? Not anymore. They have a car? Not anymore. They have a PlayStation? Pastor Steve. You, you joke about it. You know what? I had this family. It was a single mom, and she was doing the best she can. She made a whole bunch of mistakes. She was trying her best. She had this 17-year-old boy, and uh, he just announced her, I ain't going to church anymore. So she brought in his PlayStation to my office. I said, all right. And that didn't work. She brought in a bunch of other toys, a TV, started bringing stuff in. Eventually, she brought in the door off of his room and left him with nothing but a mattress, a pair of underwear, and clean clothes. Because, listen, parents, that's all you're required to give them, a mattress, clean clothes, underwear, and food to eat. They don't get, have to have a PlayStation. They don't have to have a video game console. They don't have to have TV or high-speed Internet in their room or a, a Netflix account. They don't need any of this. Listen, that's all stuff you give out of your grace when they behave correctly. If you can't get a 16-year-old to church and to youth department, you have strong problems in your family. Amen? If you can't get a kid to church, you've got problems. If they look back at you, I'm, I'm just talking here. I'm not preaching you got a 10-year-old who tells you what they're going to do. You have problems in your home. You tell the 10-year-old what they're going to do. Let me also say this. Rediscover Awana. I thought of, oh, if I could describe Awana in three words, Bible, fun, George. <laughs> Awana's awesome. It's the greatest children and largest children's ministry in America and in the world today. It's a great program. It's a great way of pumping Jesus. They have fun. They're giving candy, a whole bunch of stuff, and they're learning God's word, and they don't even know it. <laughs> and George makes it a blast. Get your kids 
still want it. Next year, we're talking about switching it over to Sunday night. Feel, feel free to give us some feedback. Not now, but feel free for some feedback. You know what? You know what my parents did? We had Awana. Ours was on Monday night. And my parents told me, you don't go to Awana and you don't say a verse, you don't say a section, there's no Monday night football when you come home. That's it. Mom and Dad, get your kids ready for Awana. Have them learn these verses and go over some stuff. If you've got time for Facebook and Candy Crush, you've got time to go over some verses with your kids. And lastly, Rediscover Jam, and I'm biased because I'm married to the person who runs it, and I think she's cute, but Timothy was from a single mom, but you know who helped him? The local church. You know who helped him? He had a godly man in his life, and that godly man came to the faith. Next, Timothy was flogged. Um, Paul will remind him to flee youthful lust. I think every young man needs to be reminded of that. But he's also riddled with self-doubt, 1 Corinthians 16, 10, if you want a side reference, 2 Timothy 1, uh, 2. Uh, Paul will also have to remind him in one of the disciples, let no man despise you. Don't let anybody put you down because you're young. Timothy was riddled with self-doubt. You want to know why? Because he grew up in a home that probably didn't have a dad. You want to know why that young man Sunday afternoon was acting that way? Because he was completely, he had no confidence in who he really is. He had not have a father there to smack him above the side of the head and show him and demonstrate how you behave in public and how you treat a woman and how you hold a door open for a lady and how you're supposed to talk. And men don't talk like that, especially. Listen, I remember being at a Lions game before I got saved. I remember being at a Lions game with my family and stuff, and I remember these guys behind us and our whole family, they were playing the Saints. And I remember these guys behind my sisters were there, and they were swearing, and they were smoking weed. I know in the Silver Dome, shocker, right? And they were smoking weed, and my dad had had enough. He walked over. These are my daughters, and you're not going to talk like that in front of them. If you've got a problem, let's go outside now. It got real quiet. My dad showed me how to treat a woman. Timothy had none of that. But let me just remind you. As we talk about mistakes, I want to give you this thought because if you're here and you're, you're a person who makes mistakes, <laughs> it's all of us. Uh, we make a mistake by letting mistakes define us. In this room, you are in a room full of sinners. If you're a sinner, say amen. Say, wow, you didn't realize that, right? Did you lock your car? You should. You're in a room full of sinners. But that's why God sent Jesus to die on a cross for you. That's the whole purpose of Jesus coming is not so that you get an extended holiday in December, not so that you get a couple of days off in, in, around April time. No, the reason Jesus came because you were a sinner and could do nothing about your sin, and God loved you that much. Listen, you are not defined by the guy who was raised without a dad. You are not the look, defined by the girl whose daddy didn't have enough guts to stick around. You are not defined by the guy who's an addict. You are not defined by the girl who has a checkered past and you did some things that you shouldn't have done morally. That is not what defines you. If you are here today and know Christ as your personal Savior, what defines you is that God so loved you so much he sent Jesus. That's what defines you today. Everyone in here makes mistakes. That doesn't define you. So today, our theme for rediscovering the church, our theme for 2018, rediscover the church. Not because the church needs you, but you need the church. And can I give you a little 
theological, the word church is ecclesia. And it means local, New Testament, called out, assembled. A group of believers that meets and gathers together. You need to be part of that. The church will give you three things, and I'm going to use Timothy's life here in Acts chapter 16. I know, I, my intro is longer than my message. Relax. I'll get you out, all right? Number one, church gives me the opportunity to serve. Paul comes back, and he meets Timothy again, and what does he do? He's on his second missionary trip. We're going to talk about this tonight, and we'll actually talk more about this on Wednesday night, too, about the church's leadership. In verse 2, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. When Paul, him, who would Paul would have go forth with him, Timothy becomes really Paul's right-hand man. Even more than Dr. Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, Dr. Luke, at the end of Acts 28, will leave Paul and go back to Jerusalem and hang out with Mary, Jesus' mother, and with Mary, put together accounts and write the Gospel of Luke. But Timothy stays right there by Paul's side. He helps Paul put out fires. Timothy will assign him to local churches that are being kind of screwed up and everything. Say, go and fix this problem. In fact, he'll be there with Paul in prison. And tradition, not the word of God. Tradition says that he was right with Paul. Paul gave him the opportunity to serve because he was part of the local church of Lystra. Look, we've got opportunities for you this year. Next week, I'll have a whole brochure and some things. That if you're somebody that would like to write down dates, Vacation Bible School will be in July again, opportunity to serve. Our fall festival takes place. Uh, Fourth of July parade, we're going to do that again. It means we're going to build a boat. Uh, August anniversary and uh, celebration out at the lake that we do every, that we're going to be doing every year. We did it last year. Trick or trunk, I'm already thinking of October. Mother's Day brunch, we're doing it differently. This year the men are going to do the cooking, and hopefully some of the teenagers will serve. But there's always needed help of setting things up and putting things down. Uh, Father's Day, Donuts with Dad, that's my favorite Sunday. And then in September, we're going to do a Texas barbecue. We've got hopefully some singing groups coming in. We're going to have some fun and do some things with it. There's going to be a lot of sort of one-time events or one week to sort of volunteer. There's a lot of opportunities for you to have, and these dates pretty much cover throughout most of the year, and you can jump in and be part of it. But there's also ministries like senior citizens who need a leader on our church. If you like hanging out with old people, see me. They're fun. Our DVD ministry, right now I'm doing it, and it's kind of kind of hard for me to do it. You guys can come in and just make DVDs and edit videos. I think it's great. Uh, our first-time visitor, Gary Pace, does it, but Gary's going to Florida. If he needs help with it, if you'd like to be part of it, our children's ministry. I'm going to talk about this tonight, but I don't know why i got to ask for help in our children's ministry. You want to see people get saved, children's ministry. You want to invest in life, children's ministry. You want to see a life become completely different, children's ministry. Our bus ministry needs help. We always need different people, drivers working on it, someone just to take it over. Man, sometimes Sandra's back there with 30 kids and it's just her. Uh, our Sunday school teachers, we need substitutes. and uh, We always need help in the nursery. One of the reasons I thank God that I'm a preacher is I never have to work in the nursery because I don't have to change diapers. I do that at home. I'm just kidding. I don't do that at home. Hawana, <laughs> you know, listen, you, you, you get in the classroom with you and 15, 20 kids, you get outnumbered real quick, and they can take you over and stuff. But we need help in a lot of these different ministries, so be part of it. And I'll just say this to you. Don't you want to be involved in seeing a young boy and girl come to know Christ as their Savior and be part of the mentoring process to see somebody go from a statistic to a Timothy? And if you're here and you're too good to uh, clean toilets at Ocean Ridge, then you're too good for us. You're too good for us. 
Um, God doesn't uh, take you and make you the pastor. He promotes from within. He gives you a job. He finds you being faithful in it, and he promotes you from within. I've told you the story before, but I'm only here because of Ray Earl. He was our bus director and bus uh, minister at First Baptist of Washington. I turned 16 and got a license. He came to me and said, I need help. I need a bus runner. Mr. Champagne will drive, and you're going to go knock on the door and pick up all these bus kids, and you'll get them in here, and you said they're going to be snotty, and they're going to hug you, and your clothes are going to get ruined and everything, and you're going to get them, and you're going to do it. I said, no, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. I said, no, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. I said, no, I'm not. He said, I will talk to your parents, and I will show up at your house on Sunday morning and drag you out of bed, and you know they will let me do it. And I said, I'll be there at 8.30. (laughs) Next thing you know, then he made me go to be the counselor for junior camp. It was like my first real ministry. I'm really excited about it. You know, I'm like 16 and stuff, and I'm like, oh, this is, I'm going to be a minister, and I'm going to do all this stuff. We're like five minutes outside of the church, and there's a bus, okay? So it's summer, and it's hot. There's no way. Okay, five minutes outside, and this knucklehead sixth grader in the very back row decides this would be a good time to throw up. Throws up all over the floor. And what makes it worse, he says, well, my mom and dad went to work early and stuff, so I had to feed myself. And I'm like, what did you eat? He said, I ate a stick of butter. That's a special kind of stupid you only find in church, man. I'll tell you something. I, I, I go on about how it's going to be, but how it was to clean it up because I had to clean it up. Listen, if you're too great to clean up stuff, well, man, you're amazing. I'm, I'm glad you're that wonderful. But that's not who God uses. God uses people who will pick up the, on the back of a bus feet. Number two, the church gives me direction to teach. This is an amazing reference here. Most people don't know this passage. What I'm about to tell you, most people have no idea, but it affects you. If you're sitting here today and you're not a Jew and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, what I'm about to read and talk about affects you directly. And most Christians have no idea it's even in the Word of God. Verse 4, and as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees uh, for to keep and were ordained of the apostles and elders who were at Jerusalem. That word decrees is a reference, direct reference to Acts 15, 23 through 29. Acts 14 is Paul's first missionary trip he goes through. Acts 16 is his second missionary trip. In between, Paul went back to the church at Jerusalem, his sending church. He reported and told them about this. But a confusion of confusion developed inside the church. All these Gentiles are getting saved. And they started saying, well, the Gentiles have to follow the Old Testament law. The Gentiles have to be circumcised after they get saved. And a confusion develops inside this. And literally what we are doing today hangs in the balance. Literally, the fact that we get to go out today and have pork chops is hanging in the balance. And thank God it went this way, right? The pig is the most amazing animal in the world. It can take something disgusting like an apple and turn it into bacon. But what happens is they get together, a group conference, and all the big shots of Christianity come together. And here's Peter. You know Peter, right? The denied Christ three times and everything. First message, Acts chapter 2. Peter's there. Peter gets up and talks. It says, this is what we should do. Then the apostle Paul, I mean, Paul, who's more powerful? Who's more known? Who did more for Christianity? I mean, he wrote the majority of the New Testament. The apostle Paul gets up and says, this is what we should do. And everybody goes, oh, Peter and Paul, that's what we'll do. That's not what they did. You know what happened next? What ends it all is when James, James, the half-brother of Jesus, but James, the senior pastor of the church of Jerusalem, the head elder, the lead pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, I don't know if it was called that, but I like to say it is. He gets up, and in Acts 15, 3, he starts to say, I'm going to make a decision, and this is what's going to happen. And we will no longer make, we will not make Gentiles have to live under the law. They will not have to be burdened by this burden and, and be circumcised. They will not have to do any of that. 
And what Paul is teaching there in verse 4, the decrees, is what his church, the elders, and his pastor told him to teach. I want you to say this about the Apostle Paul. I'll give you a couple of things about the Apostle Paul in church. Paul submitted to the local church. Every time he went out and did his mission trips, he was sent out by his local church, and then he came back and reported to them. Paul obeyed the local church. He's literally here teaching them what the church taught him to say. When Paul hears this, he doesn't, well, I'm going to look for a new pastor. I'm going to find somebody who says what I want to hear. I think Gentiles should have to be under the law. I don't really like what he's saying. I'm going to find somebody else that fits what I want to hear. Paul was guided by the spirit, guided spiritually by the local church. Paul is teaching in verse 3 and 4. He's teaching what the elders of his church taught him to say. And I just can't help but think this. This came to my mind. If the Apostle Paul had this type of relationship with the local church pastor, deacon, and elders and teachers, if he had that type of relationship with his church, can I just ask you this simple question? Where is your church? You know why a lot of the large churches are the way they are? It's designed for you to come in and you have no accountability. You're there one, one week out of a month. You're there one year, week out of a year. Nobody knows. You just slip in and slip out. Who is your pastor? Who is your deacon? Who are your people? Hey, on Wednesday night, we're going to address this topic of the leadership, the God-ordained leadership of the church. And there's only two offices, pastor and deacon, in the qualifications of a pastor and deacon. But there's another position that the Word of God talks an awful lot about, and that's a teacher. Somebody who teaches you God's word. And you have Sunday school teachers, you have discipleship. Who is your teacher? Well, you know, I, I, I don't like to get tied down to one church. Paul did. You know what, I, I don't like having a pastor tell me something I don't like to hear. The Apostle Paul did. I don't need help and I don't need spiritual direction. There's nobody I need to turn to when I'm having problems or anything else. I'm all by myself. The Apostle Paul had a deacon. Who's your teacher? The Apostle Paul is literally here in verse 4 teaching what his church taught him. And he's going out and sharing what God had to say. If Paul could have that, where's yours? Listen, I love the Detroit Tigers. I mean, they are like my second favorite team. I just, I love the Tigers. My office is painted with Tiger stuff. That's literally what my wife put them out of, was the Tiger stuff. But I know they're going to be horrible. They keep trading everybody that's decent, and I don't know if they're getting anybody good or not. And that 2003 might look like a good year this year. Remember when they lost on it was 119 games? I think. Remember that? But you know what? I was there in 2003, and I went to some of the games, and I watched some of the games, and sometimes it made me want to puke. And I know this year is going to be worse, but you know what? I'm counting down the days until April. And opening day comes on, and I'm going to read that passage of Scripture about the turtle dove that Paul Harvey would, all, or would always do. You know, not Paul Harvey, uh, the radio announcer, Ernie Harwell. Yeah, Ernie, they're both dead. Uh, Ernie Harwell would do and stuff, and I can't wait. You know why? Because even when they're down, even when they make decisions I don't like, even when it's not fun to necessarily be a fan of, I am faithful, loyal to my church, or excuse me, to my team. If you can do that for a team, can you do that for your church? If you can overlook all the flaws of your team, can you do the, overlook all the flaws of your pastor? If you can overlook all the errors that the team makes, can you overlook the errors that our deacons make? 
if you're willing to spend time and money on a team that doesn't seem like it cares about you, can you invest your time and energy in having a teacher teach you? Well, I don't need all of that. The Apostle Paul did. Number three, and lastly, the church gives me faith to give. Look at verse five as we close. And so were the churches established in faith and increased in number day. This is a reference to discipleship. You need to be part of discipleship. Discipleship takes place in Sunday school. We have an official discipleship class. I'll be honest with you. You've got to be a uh, Marine, a, a Navy SEAL, a Green Beret. Our discipleship class is for people who want to get deep and who want to learn a lot of stuff. If you just want, I just want to hear nice, funny stories and be told I'm doing good, discipleship might not be for you. It's for the elite of the elite who want to be part of it. But you need to be part of some form of discipleship. You need to be part of evangelism because that's what it's a reference to. Can I just ask you politely? I'm not trying to be mean. I just This is just kind of a, a nudge, okay? Who are you responsible? Who started their faith in 2017 and you were responsible for it? Where you had a hand in it, where you were part of a group, where you did. Who in 2018 is going to come to know Jesus because you're part of it? What list of people do you have? And they're, they're sort of your hit list, your target list. And you're praying for that person every day. And you're trying to find opportunities. And you're asking God to open up doors so that you can share Jesus through them. Who are you giving faith to? Because discipleship and evangelism, hey, it takes place in a lot of places. But it's literally one of the two of the responsibilities of your local New Testament church. You know, in the future, we've got building projects that we're doing. As Jim started on the one out there. Thank you, Jim. I tease you a lot. Uh, the wall's crooked, but that's okay. Um, no, I'm kidding. It's not. The church is crooked. I'm teasing you. Um, you know, it's funny. I had a lot of people, older people come up to me and say, I think the hallway's too narrow. I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, I'm, how big are you? You look narrow. And I real, you know that little, that's a closet. <laughs> you think we'd be that dumb? To just, I mean, I might. I don't know. <laughs> you know, we've got building things we're going to do. Um, one, one day, I'm, one of my goals this year is to uh, start a daycare. I think that would be a great ministry to our families in the community. It would be having a great building for it. So one of my burning passions is for us to start churches. Uh, it's my goal in the next few years that eventually I ask 20 of you to leave. No, I'm not going to say that. But my goal is 20 or 30 people. I would love in the next few years 20 or 30 people leave our church with a young man, maybe an older man, I may not, a man, and plant a church somewhere in our community. Could be a godless town like Wartonville. Lord knows they need us. Could be anywhere. Could be Pontiac. It could be what? I mean, anywhere that God opens the door. And then when we get done, we're three or four or five years later. You get another young man, train him up, get him going. He's good. He said, "Well, we want to keep him. Not bad. We want to take him and start another church in another area around town, so that by the time I die, and sometimes that feels like it's going to be tomorrow with all these kids. But anyway, honestly, by the time I die. I don't want to look back and, yeah, we're going to build a building out there one day. I don't want to look back and look at the buildings we built. I want to look back and go, there's a church there, there's a church here, there's a church there, and there's a church there. And hopefully as time goes by, they do the exact same thing and plant other churches around town. You know who used to do something just like that? The Apostle Paul did the exact same thing. Can I say this to you? Jesus and the church is why I'm here today. 
anything about me is because of Jesus and his grace. I had a godly dad, but that wasn't enough. I had a godly mom, and oh boy, she took me in, but that wasn't enough. I had a church that gospel meant I'm going to tell them what gospel meant. And that's why I'm here. Jesus has gotten me out of tickets. Some of you right now, you just got interested. You haven't paid attention to anything. You're like, what? I can get out of tickets? I'll get saved. What do I got to say? No. But, you know, he's a pastor. I had a bigger part of my wallet than that. Actually, in uh, Illinois, I got pulled over twice. Uh, we lived on a long stretch, just like now. We live on a long stretch outside of town, and I'd leave the church sometimes 1, 2 o'clock. And I'd always get seen, like, get pulled over, and there was a state trooper and stuff. Before. State trooper, Illinois state trooper. They're not as good as Michigan state trooper for that. State trooper pulled me over, and, like, what are you doing? One time, this one guy said, oh, that was an excuse to pull you over. It's really a sobriety check. We're just kind of checking to see if you're drunk and stuff. And I said, well, you know, I'm the pastor of that Baptist church, and I, he had to be a believer. I mean, the way he talked and everything, he said, well, you know, I can think of one person who probably needs to drink, and that's most Baptist preachers, right? <laughs> and I'm like, you know my church, don't you? No. <laughs> Jesus got me out of tickets. Jesus got me through uh, uh, the custom lines in South Africa. There was a great big line, and you had to go through it and everything, and it was my turn to go through it. And they were going through everything, right? Like, what do you think we're doing? Nobody wants to come to South Africa. Anyway, but we're going through all this other stuff, and uh, – uh, I get to the line, and we were told, you know, don't tell him you're being a missionary. Don't be an idiot. We don't want to cause problems. We didn't lie. What we told him was true, but we just downplayed that part. So, but we're leaving. I'm like, you know, whatever. What are they going to do? Make me stay? I'm an American. Arr, arr, arr. Somebody will come and get me. I'm that great. But anyways, my greatest thing was we were stuck in South Africa. Uh, when we were in that South Africa, Katie Wright said, I don't have to worry because I know Bobby Lee will come get me. That is a dad, your daughter should say that about you. I know my dad will come to Africa to get me. Now, what you're doing, though, is another reason. But, but we get in line, and I'm like, I'm, I don't care. I'm tired, a little edgy and stuff like this. I come up, and this lady's got a scowl on her face. And she's like, sir, why were you in South Africa? I'm going like, nuts to this. I'm in South Africa because I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I coach people who must be born again. I personally had the opportunity to lead four people in accepting Christ as their personal Savior. I'm here to give the gospel. That's why I was in South Africa. And her whole complex changed, and she went, really? And I say, well, yeah, I'm a Baptist preacher. You're a pastor? I am so blessed to have a pastor in my life. None of you ever say that. <laughs> Nobody's ever said that to me in Kroger. We have a pastor in our lives. Let him come through. Get out of his way, infidel. Nobody said that. But she goes, oh, and she just said, go right through, pastor. Never check my bag. I could have had an easy I don't know. I don't know what she thought I'd be bringing anyway. Just let me. Jesus got me out of tickets. He's got me through customs. But you know what? One time Jesus kept me from jail. One time we, I can tell this story now because it's funny. Nobody tell my mom this. Uh, when I was 18, and it was like uh, 88 or so or 89, uh, the, the auto shelf, right, was going on. And our church went down, but I was too cool to go to church. So me and two of my buddies went, we drove separately in our church and went down there and did some stuff. Well, my buddy uh, lived in Rochester Hills. My other buddy lived in Shelby Township, and uh, his dad was a GM exec. And so he had a brand-new 88 IROC Camaro, and his dad let us take it. Well, why do you care? It's not yours. You're not paying for it. Never buy these cars that executives drive because their kids drive them too. But anyways, so they let us drive. And so we went down there, went to the whole auto show and stuff, and we don't know squat about the store. We don't know what we're doing. We got lost to pry, to pry. 
And then what happened is we had two cops pull us over. We got racially profiled because we got lost in the city, had no idea. We were in a very, very bad neighborhood called Detroit. But we were lost in Detroit. And these two cops pulled us out, dragged us out of the car. I'm at the front. My other buddy's back there. The, my buddy who was driving in is his dad's car is up on the sidewalk. It's dan wearing windy. Something comes out of his wallet, and the cop goes, what is this? What is this? Thinks he's throwing something away. The cop that's behind me takes his billy club and in the back, right in the center of my back, pushes me all the way forward. I can tell you what a 1988 Ira Camaro could taste like because that's exactly where my face was as he pushes me right forward. And they're like, why are you down here? You're buying drugs. You're doing your this. And I'm like, so finally I just said, sir, we are from First Baptist of Washington. My pastor's name is Art Kidd. We came down here with our church group. We got lost. My pastor's phone number, at the time 313 was there, my pastor's phone number is 313-781-4801. You can call him and he'll tell you we are part of his church. Now, I knew his number because I was filling out job applications and I put my pastor as a reference just that week. In fact, young people, the first two jobs I ever got in my life, I got them. And both reasons why is because they said I put my pastor as my main, my number one reference. And they were like, anybody would put their pastor as a reference. We would, thank God they never called him. I never told him that, don't call him, but that cop went back, the other one stood there, and he had his, I, I, I'm like, we are going to jail, I have heard horror stories about this, I'm going to have to call my mother from jail, my father is going to kill me, they'll never believe we weren't doing anything wrong, and he comes back and goes, alright, you guys can leave. I don't know if he called my preacher or not, I never asked because I didn't want to bring it up, but they just let us out, Pastor Kidd got me out of jail. Listen, church could get you out of ticket. Jesus can get you through customs tax. Knowing your pastor can maybe get you out of jail. Knowing his number. But you need to be part of a local New Testament church, even if none of us are involved. Mom and dad, you need a group of people, adults. Come here, Ken. See this good-looking young man? <laughs> now, so you're older than me, huh? This is a resource. This is a total resource. And one thing I love about Ken, too, is he's older than most of our parents. Most of them, Dave. He's older than most of them. Been there, he's raised kids already, he's got good boys. You need to use him as a resource. If you're a parent of a sixth grader on up, you should be taking this man out to youth group, getting to know who he is by knowing his phone number and talking with him and finding out how do you raise a good young man what do we have to do and making sure your kids are part of it? Because Ken's not going to indoctrinate them in some political thing. He's not going to indoctrinate them in, in some mind-numbing thing. He's going to tell them about Jesus. He's going to tell them to honor and obey their parents. He's going to tell them to stay away from things like drugs and alcohol. He's going to tell your son and daughter to be a virgin when they get married. He's going to tell them to get out of the world and find God's will for their life because it's no better place than that. Why would you not want to take advantage of this? literally told you today, thank you, Ken, give me an enhancer, I'll keep my change. If I sat a bottle of water up here and said, today we're going to die, and here's the answer, and you said, oh, amen, that's great, but then you got up and walked out and left the bottle of water. Pastor Steve, I can do this without the church. I can raise these kids. I can do all this without the church. I don't mean to be rude, but I don't think you're better than my dad. I don't mean to be insulting, but you're not better than my dad. And they needed the church to make me. 
you're hearing me clear your mind. This is what I want to do. I want to do two things for our invitation. You're a single mom, or you have a Timothy, or a Timothyette in your life, right? You're a grandmother, and it, it's killing you that they don't serve Jesus in the right way. Right? You're a mom or a wee dad, and your kids are not living for Jesus. You have a Timothy who's not yet met his Paul, right? Could be that man right there. Has not yet met his Paul yet to really get his life and act together. When we give our invitation, I would like you to come and respond. Just use these steps. No one will bother you. And just talk to God about your Timothy. If you're here and you're part of Oakley Woods, would you do me a favor? We do our invitation today. Would you come forward and pray? Pray that God keeps our pastor humble. Pray that God keeps us focused on reaching boys and girls, teenagers and college kids. And pray that the number one thing we always hear about at Oakley Woods is Jesus. Would you help me give the invitation? Would you stand with me today? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, as the band comes up, Lord, in this room, there's somebody who's got the Timothy as I talked about it. Maybe they even started tearing up. There's single parents in here. Lord, today, would you let your Holy Spirit just wrap your arms around that single mom or single dad and just whisper in their ear, they can do it. They can raise a godly man or a woman the way you did. And Father, as a church, as a group of believers, as a local New Testament group, Lord, keep us directed in the right way. Father, we want to reach boys and girls and teenagers. Help that never to be stained in our confession. We want to plant churches, Lord. We want to see other churches grow up and develop and mature who will preach the gospel. Lord, help us to be focused on Jesus today, to constantly lift him up and point people to him. Thanks for allowing us to be a Baptist. Thanks for letting us be Americans. But there's still nothing more important than Jesus. Bless our invitation in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Hey, as the band plays, if you